Welcome home, Doc. Hello. Hope you're ready for a sweet, sweet serenade. If this is your first time, then let me welcome you to the Documenteers Podcast, the greatest documentary theme podcast in all of the multiverse. I'm your host, Bob Sham. I am your always host. And each week, myself and an enthusiast get together and break down a different documentary and judge it to the end of time. That's what makes us Documenteers. You get it, right? All February long, we're watching some critically held docs that we might have missed in 2018 as the month barrels towards the Academy Awards and the only award that matters, the best documentary category. This episode is the only one all month that we've banked after the nomination announcement. So ever since late January, I've been predicting the Oscar winner to be a film that didn't even get nominated. Well, this episode, we're a little more enlightened. Next week's step, though, I go back to being wrong. That's the hazard of attempting predictions when you bank episodes a month out. Sometimes I worry that something terrible will happen, like one day Oregon gets destroyed and two days later a banked episode drops and there's no mention of anything regarding it, but there are plenty of fart clips and new metal references. <laughs> On today's show, we got a doozy for you. Another selection that wasn't nominated, but is one that may be hard to forget. Akil and I watched the Kevin McDonald documentary, Whitney, about the one and only singer Whitney Houston and her family and life in tragedy. Boy, is there a lot of tragedy. And boy, did I learn a lot. This month, we're hitting some really emotionally charged docs. I got to make up for it by watching some dumb shit in March. Seriously, I need to decompress. Please give me some recommendations I can laugh at. Only we hadn't already watched American Movie. The director of Whitney, Kevin McDonald, we kind of breezed over in the episode, but this guy has gotten around in the film world doing both documentaries and feature films. His credits include... The Last King of Scotland, State of Play, One Day in September, and Touching the Void, to name a very few. Also, the Kevin McDonald from Kids in the Hall has a last name that's spelled completely different, so enjoy all that. One thing I want to touch base on, I think we also breezed right on by, and I honestly can't remember if this doc mentioned this at all, but Whitney's iconic Super Bowl national anthem, we all know it, was lip-synced to a pre-recorded track. Kind of makes sense, seeing as it was conveniently packaged as a single soon after. In my naivety, I never knew that. Akil mentions it in the episode, and I'm pretty sure I didn't hear him. And you get to hear me not hearing him. Whitney did do the recording in one take, though. It's still her voice, and it's still impressive. Fergie, though, at least she sang it live. Does that star Next week on the show, we discuss what might be a horror documentary for creative types. What would happen if you funneled all your young passion into something only to have a strange friend slash mentor take it all away? What would you do if all that was taken from you returns over 20 years later? Johnny and I watched Sandy Tan's therapeutic and emotional Singaporean odyssey, Shirkers, and it's another worthy film that did not get an Oscar nomination. The true snub of the year, in my opinion. Before, I wasn't going to watch the Academy Awards. Now, I'm really not going to watch the Academy Awards. My new winner prediction is Free Solo, by the way. Congrats to whoever wins. I'm sure you will hear me discuss it in late March. You can watch Shirkers on Netflix and hit us up next week as we discuss it right here on The Documenteers. Before I do the pre-show music clip credits, I just want to make a pre-show correction. In the episode, I claim that the new metal-slash-butt-rock hybrid band Saliva is from South Africa. Nope. Wrong. They're actually from Memphis, another great music city from right here in my home state of Tennessee. The butt-rock band I was getting Saliva confused with was the band Seether. Seether is from South Africa. 
not saliva. And for that boner, I am very sorry. Some of the music clips in today's episode are very obvious and others will seem strange out of context. Let's just bowl through the list, shall we? Whitney Houston, Bobby Brown, duh. Dionne Warwick, Dee Dee Warwick, Sissy Houston, Lincoln Park, Nickelback, Shinedown, Saliva, Black Sabbath, Marvin Gaye, and Lionel Richie. Maybe three of those performers do I actually listen to. Let's not keep you any further. Akil and I have much to discuss. On to the film Whitney by Kevin McDonald. DocumentiersPodcast.com. Rest in peace, Nippy, and keep on docking. Here is a motion picture film. A thousand feet. 16,000 separate photographs. Let's tidy up this tangle of film by putting it on a reel. Today I had to go to a very famous place where you buy electronics and stuff. I don't want to say their names. They need to. They, they got to pay if they want. They got to pay if they want yeah, their name yeah. spoken. I feel you. But I was getting some AV cords because I'm trapped in the '90s <laughs> and I've got things that need AV cords. Sometimes it's funny you say that. I, I hooked up my Wii and I was like, this "Fucking flat screen, yeah, doesn't have AV. Mm-hmm. Are you serious?" I had to go online order. A connector to like a, con- a converter to convert the AV to HDMI. It's like, how is this even possible? I think there may be an AV on the TV because there's an actual on the. It's a smart TV. There's mm. an input for there's on the screen. There's like where the all the apps are. There's also a, an icon for all the different inputs. Yeah. And there's one that says AV, and I cannot for the life of me, I cannot find it on that TV anywhere. Man, it's it, so maybe it's in a compartment because I have noticed that TVs still have that. So I think a lot of it is so if you want to set up like a surround speaker system. Yeah. So here's here's Shalina's been my wife has been listening to me bitch about this since I hooked up the Wii. Yeah. They make these flat screen TVs so that you can't most people mount their flat screens on the wall. At this point, more than half of people mount their flat screens. There's, there's at least one mounted flat screen on the wall in most houses. Usually it's the biggest one. Sure, yeah. Once you get it mounted, you can't trying to make a hookup is almost impossible because it's flush against the wall at that point. All the inputs are recessed in the back yeah. of the TV. So you're reaching your arm back there between the wall and the TV, trying to feel your way. It's so fucking frustrating. I can't do it. It's a huge design flaw. I can't fit my hands in the back. I can't either. You know what they need to do is to make it to where that mount has like, like, like a, hinges so that hinges. It, can, it can, or, or like, it's like an arm where you can kind of pull it out. Yeah. yeah. It's so fucking frustrating. Every time I have to hook something up new to that TV, I go through that every single time. I just get Angela to do it. Cause I, f- she'll just hear me go insane trying to, <laughs> I was like, this is bullshit. I don't have a lot of patience for shit sometimes. <laughs> and, and really, and when she hears me, she'll come and she'll fix it. But, but if you're not around, Sometimes I just need to fucking scream for 30 straight minutes yeah, before I, I finally yeah. figure out how to do it. But I was in famous electronics store. Famous. Walking up Radio to Shack. The- <laughs> uh, Radio Shack. Are those even around anymore? No, they're not. This is probably the easiest guess to make into what electronics store I was in. But I was walking towards the register with my AV cords. 
And this girl, uh, she was an employee who worked, uh, worked the register that I would find out because she checked me out. She's digging in the $6 CD bin. And she, she goes, hey, you like Lincoln Park? And I go, no. <laughs> and then she goes, what? How old was this girl? She looked like she, I guess, between the ages of 18 and 23. Then she goes, what about Nickelback? Look at this photograph. I was like, no. <laughs> She's like, everybody likes Nickelback, which I've never heard anyone <laughs> say. Right, well, somebody likes them, apparently. Well, a lot of people do like Nickelback. They've sold millions of records. But they're all, they're also a joke. But right. I usually don't trash Nickelback because it's so easy. And I've like spent an afternoon listening, listening to butt rock. And let me tell you, Nickelback is not the most egregious no. of butt rock. There's some like, what's that fucking uh, shine down? down the of a 45. Oh, oh yeah, saliva. Have you ever? I think they're like a South African. I don't even. You know what? I think they're I, awful. I feel like I I can picture the font of that band name on a CD. I don't know any of their music, but I know I've seen an album cover, a CD I, cover. I think it's Saliva that did this song. Click, click, boom. Click, click, boom. You know what I'm talking about? Come down on the stereo. Hit me on the radio. Yeah, ready oh, or yeah, not. Yeah. Click, click, boom. Click, 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 boom. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's how, like, frat boys get pumped up. Yeah. That music's such shit, man. <laughs> so I walk over, I start digging through, and she's like, what, you don't like anything? And I'm like, well, you named like two bands. And I start digging through the pile, pile looking for things I like. I see like a best of Chuck Berry. I was like, you know, I like things like this. And there was a Whitney Houston best of CD. And she's like, oh, you like all that old stuff? And I was like, not necessarily. It's just you just named two bands <laughs> I really don't like. And then I see a copy of uh, Black Sabbath's album, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. Which is an album I like. And I pick it up and I was like, ooh, this is a record I like. I am the world that finds the universal secret of all time. And I go, Black Sabbath. And she's like, conversation over. I don't know if she knows anything about Black Sabbath. She maybe interpreted it like she just heard Black Sabbath and her brain went Satan. Yeah, yeah. Which is funny. That's like the classic interpretation of Black Sabbath. It's like the interpretation her grandmother would have had of Black yeah, Sabbath. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It all comes full circle. I'm not in her mind. I'm not sure what she was thinking. My interpretation, she was like, do you like Nickelback? Never made it as a wise man. My response was, I like sitting on my dark master's <laughs> penis. <laughs> Don't you? Would that be anything else for you, sir? Yeah. <laughs> she was pleasant enough. She seemed like someone who just liked to talk to people, like always got to be talking. All the bands she named for her age is what you guesstimated was. Those are like old bands for her. Yeah, those these are like bands that were huge in like 2003. Yeah. I guess to her, that's like classic. Maybe, maybe her big brother listened to it. It's, it's classic rock. It's classic to yeah. her. And to me, it's just like, oh, that's that era where, music where I feel like all music right? was probably bad. <laughs> Not all music, but you A know. A lot of it. We're talking about the movie Whitney by kevin mcdonald we're making up for some critically hailed movies that got a lot of buzz in 2018 this is week three in our february 
this episode also happens to be the one every every episode that everyone's listening to this February, with the exception of this one, was recorded before the Academy Award nominations were announced. And what you don't know, Akil, is that every episode other than this one we're recording is me making proclamations of what I think is going to win the best documentary category. And I kept saying, it's, won't you be my neighbor? I haven't actually, I knew that the nominees had been announced, but I don't know who any of them are. Well, let me tell you, the, the winner that I predicted was not nominated. Won't you be my neighbor, the Mr. Rogers? That's really surprising. I thought so, too. I thought it would get in that there. That seems like an easy pick. It feels like a feel-good, throw-it-to-the-people kind of, like, win, yeah. you know? I think it was a good movie. I don't know if it was the best, because there's a lot of good documentaries last year. The ones that were nominated were... Did RBG. RBG was nominated. Minding the Gap by Bing Lu, which we talked about last mm-hmm. week. Hell County This Morning and This Evening by Ramel Ross. Nice. Which I was pleasantly surprised that that was nominated because I'd say it's in, and there were some really good documentaries last year. I'd say it's in the top three of my favorite of 2018. And Won't You Be My Neighbors, probably like fourth or fifth, really. But like I said, there's some great movies. What the fuck else? Free Solo. I have a feeling Free Solo is going to win. This episode will drop a little over a week before the Academy Awards air. I'm not going to watch that shit. It seems like a pretty safe bet. I think that RBG... In this political climate, it, I think that people might steer away from. But the Hollywood machine a kill. That's true. But this, but the the free solo is a is a movie that like everyone can get behind as far as free solo as far as camera work and shit oh, is visually, actually. I mean, I haven't even seen it. Just the clips that I've seen look amazing. It's pretty breathtaking. I personally think that Hell County is my favorite, and Mining the Gap. Like I would pick those two, but I would understand totally a free solo one because. It really is unlike any, and it's got one of the rare things in a documentary where there's a goal and it's a seemingly impossible goal and they do it. And some mind-blowing camera work in that movie. But I think a bigger snub, bigger than Won't You Be My Neighbor, was the movie we're going to talk about next week, Shirkers by Sandy Tan. It's a Netflix original about this girl in Singapore and her friends. They were making a road movie in Singapore. Singapore is like a, a, a city state that you can drive across in 40 minutes. This professor of film that they were hanging around with, like just took all their shit and they didn't get it back for over 20 years. Holy shit. And then Sandy Tan put together this documentary and called it Shirkers. Very unique. And I'm excited. I'm excited for everyone to hear about it. And it comes out next week on the documenteers. Nice. The movie we're discussing today was not nominated but I'd say it's a good movie. Just right off the bat, I'd say it was good. Absolutely. It was I'm I'm still shook actually from watching it. I mean This shit was raw, dude. Oh no shit. I mean there there was a lot of stuff that I already knew. A lot of this was but, very revelatory to yeah, me. Yeah, but the same. I mean there were some things that There's one part <laughs> where where we'll get to where you and I looked at <laughs> each other <laughs> yeah, like what, what the, the fuck, fuck man? Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. And uh this film's directed by a guy named Kevin McDonald. I haven't looked at any previous credits of his. I probably should if I'm going to host a documentary podcast yeah. to kind of like it's, see what else. Sure, whatever. Uh, he's my favorite <laughs> cast member of Kids in the Hall. <laughs> I want to watch some of Bruce McCullough's movies if he makes any. Can you name all the cast members of Kids in the Hall? Uh, I can't fucking name one cast member of Kids in the Hall. I just named two, dude. Was I supposed to be listening to that? I, I know that there was a... <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> he said, uh, I, I mean, I'm assuming the director shares the same name as one of the guys who kids in the hall. Uh, yeah, that's true. Kevin okay. McDonald. Now, sure. there's one I know. Kevin McDonald was like the narrow, skinny face one who, who was good at having this expression that looked like he was getting punched in the yeah, nuts yeah, all the time. Yeah. I'm very familiar with but all you, of them. I you know the look names. I'm talking oh, yeah, about. And he's yeah. like dark, curly hair. This is uh, Kids in the Hall talk. Welcome if you're just <laughs> tuning in. <laughs> So, I'm squishing your head. Podcast devoted to Canada's all-time greatest right comedy. There. It's, it's, it's right there, Bobby. It's right on your face. It's right there. Oh, the yellow something on your face. Just, is it a ladybug? Just, no, just get, get it off. Just it's right there. Do you not remember that sketch where oh. the guy can't, like he's almost there and then he like rubs the part. <laughs> <laughs> I totally forgot. Remember that skit? I was like, where's my sausages? Where are the sausages? You said you'd bring me sausages. Where's my sausages? <laughs> Remember when Bruce McCullough was the flying pig who would entertain people in the bank line? Wow, what a lineup. But don't worry about it. Look at me. Hi, hi, hi. <laughs> no. We need to revisit Kids in the Hall. This film, directed by Kevin McDonald. Not from Kids in the Hall. Not from Kids in the Hall. Is Whitney the story of Whitney Houston? I think I think this came out like last spring. I want to say. I know. It was Again, last I should. Year. I just. I, I should probably look that up to find out. I'm working on it, Bobby. <laughs> Are Jesus, you, you got a good signal over there. <laughs> <laughs> the dial-up's taking forever. The way this movie opens, whenever it gets into Whitney doing performances, like live performances, it's really stylish, and I actually kind of liked it. It would start out like she's just singing, and of course. I don't know a lot about Whitney Houston, but I know she's an, a fucking amazing singer. Everyone knows that about Whitney Houston. But then it starts like splicing in footage of the times. This movie opens up on Whitney singing. And then it's going in on the Newark riots start like clipping into it. It's also clipping in like aspect of the 80s. And it was interesting because as, as it was starting, I was watching Whitney and she's dancing like for commercials and there's like these hunky white dudes like dancing beside her. And I was like, wow, this woman, she really is kind of this at this time was going through this bizarre white filter. Like yeah. record executives were like, they wanted Whitney Houston. They were trying to do some like weird. She had, she had this voice that was undeniably potentially the most soulful female voice of this generation most people would agree with that and yeah. they're trying to find a way because you can't deny that talent yeah but how do you force feed that in a palatable way to mainstream white audiences and yeah so they were trying to i mean they very successfully figured out how to do that obviously and then that struck me immediately just on the opening yeah, that I hasn't even was... gone into that analytics and then it starts splicing in like the Newark riots from the 60s. It Newark. was a really jarring sort of, because she, I mean, she essentially was American as apple pie. Yeah. And then you're interspersing that with, this is where she came from. So right in, it kind of sets the tone for this movie. It's like, this movie is going to be as honest as it can possibly yeah. be. It didn't seem like this was necessarily controlled by the Whitney Houston estate, which is for the better, truly. Agreed. Because if Bobby Brown had control of this movie, we probably wouldn't be talking about it. <laughs> This dude shows up for all of, other than clips of him, he shows up for maybe a minute. Yeah, I mean, it was obvious he did not 
want to talk about what he did not want to talk about. And I respect the director because once he, he realized that, like, I mean, he made the point, you know, if you're not going to talk about the drug use. Yeah. Then we can't talk about the last, like, multiple years of her life. Fuck it. I don't need you. Like, but, if you're not going to contribute to the story we're trying to tell here. But Bobby, considering the turbulence of their relationship, probably doesn't have that many reliable memories. No, I can't imagine. It's all just like breakneck speed, literally doing speed. (laughs) And yeah, I could imagine that like anything positive that he would say is him kind of filling in the gaps because I don't know. He seemed very uh, insecure. He's the kind of guy he holds on to shit for a really long time. Yeah. I don't think that, I don't know that he's ever going to be able to let go of, he's still holding that pain from all of that crap it seems and, like he is who he is i know when in my childhood i listened to a lot of r&b radio before i got old enough to buy my own cds and shit for me i was probably more likely to listen to bobby brown than whitney houston because he was just the biggest thing at that time yeah movie kind of reminded me like yeah he was huge especially at that point when he met whitney but he had peaked right yeah he did it was i mean essentially they got married and that was that was his peak he peaked at that yeah, marriage right at that time and then it was just downhill from there yeah then he was a tick and we'll get into that in a minute whitney grew up daughter of aretha franklin backup singer sissy houston i didn't know her mother was a singer makes oh, sense yeah, yeah. And Sissy, she tried to have a solo career that didn't work out too well. They grew up in Newark, and her father was a prominent politician in Newark. And they immediately are like, he was involved in some corrupt shit. Yeah. He was the head of central planning and zoning in that administration, which was a very corrupt administration. And to get a building put up, you had to go through my father. So you do the math. Which was which was very common at that time. Down to the, the street level politics, mm-hmm. aldermen, councilmen, yeah. all that shit was, I mean, in those cities, major corruption. And so they moved out from the bad part of town to like the suburbs over at East Orange. She was also the cousin of Dionne Warwick. Walk on by. And Dee Dee Warwick, her sister. I'm gonna make you love me. Yes, I will. Yes, I will. What when was it Sissy that said she she grew up in the projects? Was that oh, Sissy? It seems so weird that you'd be Aretha Franklin's backup singer, even if you didn't have a hugely successful solo career, then you have kids. And, and but you grow but at least half your life you're yeah. in the projects not the whole not the whole way they did move to east orange when her father got all up into politics it seemed like by the time she got to like the early teen years maybe 12 13 somewhere in there is when they made the move um i mean but it's, i mean she's still a, i mean she was a backup singer yeah i mean eventually they worked and got to get to that point but it's not like i can't imagine backup singers were making a shit ton of money back then I guess not. And, you know, there's probably a lot of bad record contracts being signed that you either signed a bad record contract or you had no career whatsoever. Yeah. Whitney's mother was like, you want to sing? You're going to do it like this? She was very hard on her. And dad was uh, maybe not the most loyal in terms of marriage. Her dad does not get better. 
as he's like no. described in this no. movie. He's, I mean, he's he's Joe Jackson. Yeah, I mean, that's basically who he is. I hope he wasn't a lot like Joe Jackson, but uh, he definitely had a control freak mentality. I don't think he ever laid hands on her physically, as far as abuse. But yeah, I mean, he, that same mentality of yeah. I'm in charge and just, I mean, even beyond that, I mean, just mooching off her hardcore. I mean, but the mother was Sissy was the one that knew how to hone what she had. Yeah, I mean, there wouldn't be any Whitney Houston without. Without her mom, and not, and they made that point a lot. You know, historically, Clive Davis has always sort of gotten the credit as the guy who discovered Whitney Houston. Yeah, executive of Arista Records. Yeah, but I mean, in all honesty, that's not really true. She was. They chose Clive Davis. Yeah. I mean, there were by by the time she had her first public performance, I mean, the the execs were tripping over themselves. To yeah. Get her signed. Yeah. I think Whitney often sang backup for her mother's group, and then her mother kind of arranged for her to have a solo performance and Whitney fucking brought the house yeah. down. That's a really amazing story. Like, yeah, the, I mean, her mom. There's a there's a part, and I can't remember who it was. What, that, what like, was it? Her mom was like, "I got diarrhea. Yeah, you're right, gonna have I, to... I lost my voice, and I need you to go on for me instead." And I, I like. There's a point in the documentary. I can't remember who it was that said this, but one of the guys early in her career, you know, Whitney was getting really frustrated because she was seeing, you know, there was some they never said who, but there was another young, you know, female singer who wasn't nearly as talented as she was who was you know making some hits and she was like i can do that 10 times better than her yeah I'm tired of singing back up for my mom i should be doing solo fuck you kim wilde <laughs> <laughs> fucking stacy q uh, <laughs> but he told her he said you know your your mom is grooming you for to go beyond like that stuff sort of flash in the pan pop song it'll come and go you've got something beyond that and she's grooming you for it. it literally all led up to that moment when her mom pretended to be sick it really was a cinderella story on the surface until you dig deeper up to that point it was like and almost overnight she just became yeah huge then you got not long after that she becomes a model for a while it makes sense she's a beautiful woman but yeah she really wanted to be a singer record executive star vying for a contract and uh she ends up going with arista she picks clive davis who takes too much credit for what she could do so she becomes the 80s whitney houston tell us about 80s whitney houston i'm a, i'm a big whitney houston fan i mean i i you mentioned i mean we all know who she is obviously you could yeah. avoid her but whitney was a huge part of growing up for me all the way up through you know really college to be honest mm -hmm. um and she was in the 80s, 86, around that time, 87. I mean, she was as big as Michael Jackson. I yeah. mean, there were, there were two people. She was the female queen of pop, and he was the king of pop. I recommend reading the book, I Want My MTV. It's the oral history of MTV up to, like, the mid-90s. And it talks about how MTV was so resistant to putting black artists on the air. At first, they had, like, Lionel Richie. Yeah. Like Billy Ocean, they had a Billy Ocean video, and then Michael Jackson and Whitney Houston come along, and they're like, we "Okay, we can't we not. gotta." <laughs> and so it was like they had to pull teeth to get black artists on the station because their brain was like, 
well, white people don't want to watch black people sing. And it's like, but you're, you're contradicting like Little Richard and Chuck Berry and all those classic artists. That's such a ridiculous argument. I mean, if you even from that point, looking back at history, white kids love listening <laughs> to black people sing. It's it's I mean, almost <laughs> like entitled people in great positions of power don't really know what no the fuck they're clue. talking about. No and they're confusing their access to resources for knowledge and talent. Oh, snap. Snap. Boom. Bam. Shamism. You just got shammed. So she blows up. She quickly climbs the charts. She's got number one hits. Seven consecutive number ones. I did not know that that was a thing. Sing a song for us. I want to dance with somebody. I want to feel the heat with somebody. Yeah, I want to dance with somebody. With somebody who loves me. Wow, that's Damn. good. That's good. <laughs> oh, I can keep going, man. You just want to dance? Come on, dance. Come on, dance. So she's blowing up. She's a hot ticket. You're looking out into the... They show clips of her audiences, huge audiences. Arenas. A lot of white faces out in those audiences. Which so Arista did their job, I suppose. Yeah. But she gets some criticism from... Al Sharpton, the self-appointed prime minister of black people. He <laughs> and calls, perms. And perms. Wants to protest Whitney Houston. Why exactly does he... So I remember all this. This is 80s shit. Yeah, so and this is... As I'm watching this documentary, like, I'm remembering all of this. I'm seeing clips I remember seeing back then, stuff from news. I lived all of this stuff. And there was a backlash against her during that time because she was seen as... Her music was too white. She, I mean, her voice was obviously full of soul, but the music that was being chosen for her that she was putting out was pop friendly. It was pop radio, mainstream friendly. And so black people thought that as which, which is always a lot of times the case when someone is super successful, people will find Want some to reason to bring them down. And Did Michael took, Jackson get this criticism? Uh, No. What about Billy Ocean? They come after Billy, Billy Ocean? Ocean? get any criticism because oh. he's billy ocean okay was he gonna beat your ass or something no i mean he's, you know, he's, who's even thinking about billy ocean that's a good point <laughs> you know i'm just saying i mean in the 80s you have to think about someone <laughs> to actually criticize him Ooh, burn oh snap lionel richie got some some similar oh yeah that i mean lionel richie came from i mean people forget lionel richie back in the 80s was the man i mean you're talking true you know, 1983 84 he was huge and um, hello came from the commodores which right. was a funk band and then they sort of became more poppy they were a funk band oh more like a soul group they were so that they became less soulful yeah over a period of time they became more i wouldn't describe them as funk it was the it was the big music of the day right right uh, and then they be, they started to get more poppy and then lionel richie went solo and he took it to the next level as far as that's concerned so same deal he was you know here's the guy in these pastel jackets you know, singing, which is funny to me because, I mean, all night long is, yeah. there's like parts in the song where he's speaking Swahili, or I don't know if it's Swahili, it was whatever it is, huh. but it's not English, it's obviously an African language. I don't think I even knew that. Yeah, the Jambalite Sekimona. Jumba Jumba. I have a question. I have a confession. 
I don't really listen to Lionel Richie. Dude, everyone knows all night long. Know that hook, but that's like it. I apologize, listeners. But yeah, she, I mean, she had to deal with that. It's sad, but that's just how it goes sometimes. And it took her some time before. It really was, I don't think, until she dropped the I'm Your Baby Tonight album, which came out, I believe, in 89. And she had Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis come on to that one. And so skewed more R&B on that album. It's one song that had a very gospel feel to it. And so I think that's when she sort of overcame that hurdle and the black community started to accept her more. And, you know, hooking up with Bobby Brown. Yeah, yeah. And and they pointed that they pointed (laughs) that out when she meets Bobby Brown. They're like, and he's really black. He was black. Absolutely. For sure. (laughs) What was was that? I mean, he's really, really (laughs) black. Absolutely. For sure. Look at how fast he dances. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was weird. But Al Sharpton was calling her like, like Whitey Houston. Whitey Houston. Especially he'd, he'd come around to kiss ass later. Good old Al Sharpton. A lot of people did. (laughs) But she only gets bigger and bigger. And yeah, she meets a really black Bobby Brown. So black. I love that clip of him dancing to my prerogative. And the way he's just moving so fast. You can't move like that every night without a lot of cocaine. (laughs) It's just impossible. You kind of get it, you know? You kind of get the draw to the that kind of drug. A lot of things, a lot of stuff in the documentary about Whitney Houston that we just watched, entitled Whitney, are things that, for whatever reason, have been sort of known urban lore in the Black community across the country, but not in mainstream America. Like, Black people have been talking for years about Whitney Houston being bisexual and her right. relationship with Robin about her drug use. Robin Even before Bobby Brown, black people were talking about her drug use. Robin Crawford. Yeah. And this is they touch base on Robin. I I almost forgot to bring this up. I'm glad you did. When they, we bring up Robin Crawford, Whitney's confidant, best friend, possibly occasional lover, it seems to be pretty much confirmed that Whitney was bisexual. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of knowledge or open discussion about this shit back in that day, and her brothers are interviewed in this movie. And they also work for her over the years as well. One of her brothers had some very strong words to say about Robin. Tell me about Robin Crawford. I don't know. What do you want to know about Robin Crawford? Who was she? Robin was a nobody. She was a nobody. She was an opportunist. She was a wannabe. She was a nobody, really. She And she happened to involve herself with Nippy, you know, for whatever reasons, you know. I've never seen him do anything, but I knew that she was... Uh, she was uh, something that I didn't want my sister to be involved with. And it was evil. It was wicked. Robin gets set up through him at first. I forget which brother's what. I don't remember all his names. Yeah. And I didn't know this story, so I thought this was going to lead to Robin Crawford, this, a story of her extorting Whitney right. for some reason. I thought it was going at that angle. And it turns out she really may have been one of the few people who was actually looking out for her best interest. But the reason he was saying that was just because she was a fucking lesbian. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, oh, well, you're just a dick. And then you find out as the documentary progresses that, well, shit, you're one of the people who's responsible, partially responsible for her drug use at an early age. Yeah. He was doing drugs as her older brother. 
That's right. That same brother admits to basically passing down the influence of drug use yeah. down to his sister at the age of 15 and I mean, 16. he would go get drugs for her. They, no matter what city or country they were in, she, yeah. she would send him to go procure drugs. And like, she was surrounded by her brothers on tours by the late 80s. They were partying all the fucking time. She had her whole fucking family on the payroll. And they, mean, they all were getting paid. And not everyone was like doing some important work. Here. I would say most of them were not doing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Woo, party! <laughs> and they, got, they all got so wrapped up in that lifestyle. One of the brothers talked about going home and like couldn't shake it. They had to go back out and party and party and party because they were so used to like, that road life. Everybody was young. You can, you can fucking get fucked up every goddamn night right. and keep going. Yeah, but that's gonna hit a brick wall or a lot of brick walls. <laughs> but eventually, she meets Bobby Brown. The brothers can relate to Bobby because he's from a similar background that they're from. He was black. There's a question of whether or not they loved each other. I think they loved. They each definitely other. loved each other. Detriment of both of them, they loved each other so much. Love can be an amazing thing. But it could also be like the ingredient that's like holding something that shouldn't be held yeah. together anymore. Sometimes it takes a little maturity to just kind of look past it. But but yeah, I think they totally loved each other. But as we said, they got married. But we didn't realize at the time that was the peak of Bobby Brown's career. And he'll always be Bobby Brown, new edition. He's always going to have those hit songs, those big songs that I liked when I was a kid. But that's it. But that was that's it. where it ends. <laughs> but of course, he was a drug addict. And that was a big reason why he really wasn't able to pull it out that much anymore. And he was threatened because Whitney was just continuing to get bigger and bigger. Right. And he had to kind of constantly be on her. He was incredibly insecure. I do have to say, though, yes, Bobby was a drug addict. I still don't think that his career would have gotten any farther than Bobby wasn't very talented. Oh, snap. I mean, if you if you really, and I know... Did I you not get, see how he moved his body I mean, <laughs> this way and that? I might get some shit about this from hardcore. Because don't get me wrong, I love Bobby B. I love any BBD, I'll, all of them. I'll shield you from negative emails. Uh, I don't give a fuck. Bring okay. It. I don't give a fuck. Oh, you hear that? You heard it here first, folks. You will never talk to anyone who is more of a hardcore any fan, all those guys that came out of any and all the shit they did after than me. But if you really want to you know, step back from the nostalgia and look from a talent point of view. Bobby couldn't really sing. Yeah. I mean, he had a lot of charisma on stage, but that can only carry you so far. He he went as far as he could with the talent that he was given. Mm -hmm. And then that, that pretty much was it. So I guess uh, the no, drugs didn't help. No, but I don't think that he would have progressed really much, much farther than what he did. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Winnie and Bobby, they may have loved each other, but they weren't very good for each other. It was a love that burned hot. And this is the era of Whitney Houston that I know the best. When we're leading up to the National Anthem and the Bodyguard. Yeah. My granny loved that Bodyguard. She wanted that soundtrack, just like every other grandma in the country. She was really into Kevin Costner. She really wanted to throw that pussy on Kevin Costner. She was all Everybody about was it. All about Kevin Costner. Kevin, Kevin Costner had his day. Yeah, back da then. In dances. Days. My grandmother dragged me to Dances with Wolves like three times in the theater. <laughs> she fucking loved that movie. I and mean, he had what was that, and before that, I think it was Field of Dreams and Bull Durham. He, you know, he was working his way up. Yeah. To becoming she was all about the bodyguard too back when vhs's were like 25 bucks 
Did she get Waterworld? I think she might have stepped out at that point. That's my favorite Kevin Costner movie. Yeah. Mine is right. Man of Steel, Jonathan. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, he's like standing right. By, just let him rescue you, Jonathan. You're right by the tornado. What kind of father are you? Yeah. To let your your son live with the torment of knowing that he could have saved his father's life. It that easy. It was like the distance of like across a gymnasium. Yeah, I could have done it. That tornado. <laughs> just someone walk over there and, and just, just pull him. Or how about this, Jonathan? Why don't you come running walk towards me? Walk the fuck yeah. over <laughs> to the crowd. I love it. Like he saves a bus full of kids from drowning and he like yells at his son. It's like, you're. Should I, I let them die? Yes. Whoa. What kind of <laughs> Superman movie is this? Fuck, Zack Snyder. Jonathan Kent wants children to die. The Kevin Costner, Jonathan Kent. You heard it here. Uh, Man of Steel. That's a one on on my end. I give that one Clint Howard that movie. <laughs> Ooh, it sucks. It's I know it's really bad. I don't even justify it with I, any Clint. You Howard. know what? I'll give it one and a half because I do like Michael Shannon. I feel like he was my favorite part of that movie. Zod. I was kind of rooting for Zod to just break the whole world. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're yeah we're we're off topic here. We're, we almost we got to <laughs> climb out of this hole. Right? <laughs> Talk about Whitney. Let's talk about the Super Bowl. Super yeah. I freely admit I got the chills watching that again. I hadn't seen yeah. it in a really long time. I mean, that's the gold standard to this day yeah. for Super Bowl anthem Before we talk about that, though, can yeah. we talk about Marvin Gaye's? Oh, my God. I never even knew about <laughs> I that. Either. Whitney is inspired by Marvin Gaye's performance of singing the national anthem at the NBA All-Star Game. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking Marvin. He this fuck, drum machine. He had a drum machine. He just set up a drum machine for the national anthem. Can you see? Joss have to think about it. Sexual healing, which was big at that time, yeah, that's really nothing but a drum machine. That yeah. whole song is nothing but a drum machine, really. I think maybe Marvin Gaye just, he probably carried like an old school drum machine I think around. he overestimated how much the drum machine was going to fill the room. What so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleam. It sounded like some kid with a Casio keyboard just hit the demo button. I mean, I'm not saying it's a bad rendition of no. the national. It was, I would say it's interesting. It's itself. the sexiest rendition. Of the but like anthem. he was like, a, I was like, is he trying to fuck the national? I'm talking anthem? like slow beat notes spread miles apart. <laughs> I've never seen that before. I may have to do uh, the Marvin Gaye NBA All Star Game national anthem as a shorty episode. Ooh, it's very it's it's a very interesting take, and I'm curious as to what. Americans have very visceral reactions to any reinterpretation of the national anthem. Yeah, yeah. So I'm curious as to what the initial reaction was to his performance because it was very, very God, not people the norm. so fucking uptight about the it's national anthem. It's fucking ridiculous, anthem, man. And then uh, usually the ones they're the most uptight about become a lot of times the most famous ones. So yeah, she's inspired by that Marvin Gaye, that weird anthem that we will talk more about. Yes. So she steps up. We all know this performance. She's uh, didn't they sell it as a single? Like it was, it charted. Yeah, the national fucking anthem. It was charted. like people's favorite Whitney Houston yeah. song, the fucking national anthem. For the man I'm free. 
It's my favorite Roseanne Barr song. And my favorite Fergie Fergie. song. Oh, Fergie. (laughs) That might be my favorite, actually. (laughs) That was also an NBA All-Star game. Yeah, you. Does that star spangled banner yet But after this national anthem performance by Whitney Houston, we all fucking know it. Like I said, gold standard that no one can live up to. Such a gold standard that no one even cares that she lip synced. She's the hot thing. All the all the young folks, the young adults love her. And then after that national anthem, then your great aunt and grandma yeah. suddenly became huge Whitney Houston fans. And everyone was just on board. She almost became representative of some people like tried to purify her in yep. their mind, which is kind of ridiculous. It's a huge in hindsight. It's a huge burden to put on someone, especially yeah. knowing now all yeah. the other shit behind the scenes that was going on. And then she goes on to make The Bodyguard. She sings I Will Always Love You, written by Dolly Parton, that she wrote for Porter Wagoner after he got pissed. She bailed on their duet career so she can move forward with her solo career. And Porter Wagner was very like pissed off about it. And she wrote that song to him just to tell him like, look, I know we've had problems, but I still care a lot about you. But Whitney takes the song I Will Always Love You, makes it her own. It becomes, I think to this day, the best-selling single by a female artist to this day. Yeah. Everyone was obsessed with that song. It was, it it got to the point where you could not go anywhere for any, probably longer than a few hours without hearing that song. Didn't matter where you were, in the car, grocery store, mall, walking down the street, someone would drive by. I mean, it was, it was fucking everywhere there. I mean, there was some backlash. It became sort of a punchline as far as how much that song was getting played. It it was just so saturated. Yeah. And, but it's still, I mean, still survived. I mean, it's, that is a, that's a, that's one of those moments in time that sort of encapsulates an entire period in history. I'll have to check the charts, but I wouldn't be surprised if that song spiked again after she died. My grandma had that single. When my grandma buys something, then it's like a major a fucking event. Oh, can we talk a little bit about the behind the scenes shade oh, throwing shade. that Whitney? So much shade. She's talking about, uh, I believe uh, Whitney's mom calls Janet Jackson a bitch at some point. They start talking about their careers in comparison to other artists of the day. Janet Jackson comes up. And never mind on that other shit. Janet Jackson shit. Let the bitch have it. And then Paul Abdul comes up. Paul Abdul ain't shit. Now, one thing, Paul Abdul ain't shit. And Whitney acknowledges, like, this we're going to have to edit. <laughs> and then Paul Abdul comes up. She's like, Mommy, that girl is singing off key on the record. She ain't even singing right on the fucking album. <laughs> That's like my favorite. That's my favorite line. <laughs> From the entire documentary. And I was thinking about it. I was like, you know what, Whitney? I'm really with you on this yeah, Paul Abdul. I agree. I love Paul Abdul. I, I mean. I've seen her in concert twice. I love her. She lip syncs every time. Yeah. I don't care. Because that's the thing. And, and that's sort of the point of the argument she's making is during that period in time in pop music, this was like the height of MTV. 
It was all about image. Everything was choreography heavy back then. It was all about dance. So you have people like Jan Jackson, who is hands down my personal favorite. Yeah. But I'm not an idiot. I recognize the difference, the the talent levels between the two vocally. And Whitney could not do what they could do. She didn't look like them. She didn't have the same. Mm. She wasn't. She didn't sexualize herself. Yeah. In the same. Although it's arguable that I don't think Jan Jackson really did that during that. No, time no. Um, that didn't come until a little bit later, but. But oh. yeah, that was the whole point is that they were they were an image, they were a brand, which Whitney it was as well, but hers was rooted in the talent that she had vocally, um, which those two didn't. And her mom's point was, you just keep doing what you do. Don't try to do what they do. Stay true to yourself, what you know how to do, and everything will be fine. Whitney and Bobby, I mean, there's trouble of brewing in the background behind all this success. There's a lot of drugs, a lot of alcohol going on. They have a child named Chrissy. But Chrissy, uh, they said that she was raised by her aunt Bay for like the first eight years of man, her life. That, that scene, that's brutal, me, man. And she tried to take the kid, but kid was—you could tell she really wanted something from her mother that her mother was not able to get. Like we said, this movie's raw. It doesn't it really is. It doesn't really hold. It, it's not trying to paint a rosy picture no. here. Even the family members, as they talk, they have to kind of admit they're coming to a lot of. I feel like we're watching them finally admit not just on camera but to themselves yeah. a lot of things that were going on in their family like it's all sort of coming to light and bubbling to the surface for the first time in this documentary and it's a really visceral thing to watch i mean it's people are wearing their emotions on their sleeve the only person who seems to want to put on a front is bobby brown everyone else is being very vulnerable in this movie and well you also notice they don't spend a lot of time talking to her mom that's true the beginning of the documentary we get us you know they speak to her about you know when she was young growing up yeah you hear a lot of the, the great things about but then you get to a certain point and she disappears from the documentary yeah. entirely there's probably some, i would wager to say there was probably some stuff in this documentary that she heard that she may have never heard before yeah we're gonna get into that very yeah. shortly by the late 90s she gets signed to a hundred million dollar contract insane that's crazy that's, that's crazy money now that's 15 years in like that and I mean, after the, I mean, you look at those bodyguard numbers, I guess it makes sense, but yeah. that's like a lot. That is so much money. And her dad was her agent at that time. And they were talking about how he was funneling all her money from her. Also, at some point, God damn it, I forgot her name, Crawford, her friend. Robin. Robin Crawford. They were talking about how she saw that Bobby was a bad influence. You know, maybe he was, but Whitney wasn't like turning yeah, shit down, you know. People, you know, Bobby gets a lot of shit. A lot of people blame him for everything that went wrong with Whitney. It's obvious they that just, Whitney has this personality that yeah, allows for that kind of exactly. lifestyle. You don't maintain some kind of professional help to that. It's She's going to get lost, man. Robin says, it's, it's either me or him, because Robin seems to be the most stable force in her life at this point. She's like, well, I accept your resignation, and Robin is gone. Her father is the agent. He's rolling, riding around on yachts and shit. I mean, this dude is used to manipulation and control. It's his M.O. And he's funneling all this money from her. It ain't like he's an agent for, like, a bunch of artists. Right. Just Whitney. He's just draining off of Whitney Houston. And in a lot of ways, he's living more lavishly than she yeah. is. So she had to let his ass go. And then he tried to sue her for $100 million. I mean, what kind of father sues his own daughter the dude just there's nothing i i saw no redeeming qualities in her father in this documentary it just got worse yeah it totally got worse he did not start out looking that great and it got worse yeah 
And we see footage of him kind of complaining about how he's playing the victim. Right. I'm tired of being hurt. I'm tired of being in a neglected state. You get your act together, honey. And you pay me the money that you owe me. Did you not take enough? Right. You tried to sue your daughter for literally $100 million is all all the money. This guy, he was from, from the get. He was made very obvious that he was a shady character. And I think it's her, maybe her sister, former sister-in-law who says that, you know, when he managed to force out her original manager and he became her manager, all of a sudden he went from being an alderman to literally being able to call any studio head, any record exec for a meeting and they would take the meeting because he was the guy that represented Whitney Houston. Huge power <laughs> shift in a short period of time. And he was just consumed with it. Well, her father would pass away. She didn't go to the funeral. She went to like a the uh, visitation yeah. beforehand. And did her Good riddance to bad rubbish. But didn't attend the actual funeral. The Bobby Whitney dynamic just continues to kind of roll downhill. She has a bad interview with Diane Sawyer. That's oh, pretty infamous. I remember that. That's brutal. Is there anything like more like worthless in this world than entertainment journalism? I know it's. I mean, truly. I'm Donald Trump. I found myself watching the documentary just becoming so disgusted with the feeding frenzy yeah. around her. And part of, and a part of that was myself. Like we were all of course just consuming this train wreck of a thing with her and Bobby Brown and all the crazy shit they were doing in public and the drug issues. We were seeing a lot of clips of pop culture during that day that was poking fun at their troubles and like what Whitney was going through. And I think at that time I definitely probably laughed at that. Oh, kind absolutely. Of shit. But I look back now, I guess so many years later and the way I, I guess with so many more years under my belt, I've seen people deal with addiction in various levels, whether it be like how food addiction has turned people diabetic and they can't stop eating the things that are killing them to just straight up hard drugs and how that's affected people. It's just well, not funny. Yeah, it's really not. When you see the whole breadth of it, it's I find it so hard to laugh at that kind of yeah. thing anymore. And I realized when I did laugh at it, that was back in the time where I didn't have that perception I didn't have that context and I didn't know shit. Right. And so it's funny. Like, oh, this is just a, like that late night, the talk show gag. Let's make fun of Whitney Houston. But really, it's just like fucking hack bullshit. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's such a fucking easy, it's an easy thing to do. It doesn't take any fucking thought. It's just low hanging fruit. And you're right. It's just hack. And knowing what she was going through and even Bobby, who I I have sympathy for Bobby in terms of his addiction, and I and I hope he's defeated it at this point in his life. But even in that regard, and like what's going on with their child, like we got a real problem. And I think nowadays with the opioid crisis, and let's be real, the opioid the only reason the opioid crisis is getting the attention it is is because it largely affects white people. Just keeping it real. When it was cracked, it was a we were a menace to society, and it's just obvious that's human suffering, and it's not a fucking. And that's just kind of, and that, like you said, that comes with time. I mean, you, if I was still that, you know, twenty something year old idiot, I'd probably still be laughing at the same stuff. I probably sat back in a recliner watching SNL, stoned, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, Whitney's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I God, that thought they did not mention that reality show that her and Bobby Brown did. I don't know if you remember that. No. They did a reality show together. I think it was on A&E or maybe Bravo, one of those cable networks. And it w it literally starts with Bobby getting out of jail. So she goes to pick him up. She's very excited. She's very manic. Um, 
it, it was a train wreck. Like, yeah, I've never been a big reality show person, mm-hmm. but I was like, I mean, this is Whitney Houston and Bobby Brown. I gotta check this out. Well, ninety day fiance, my big fat gypsy wedding, my strange addiction. Just shouting out all my favorites. <laughs> Go on. But this was just I couldn't watch it. Like it was this one was even more difficult to watch than Anna Nicole Smith. Oh and wow. That was a fucking train wreck yeah. of a show. I mean, this is like all everyone is watching these people descend into tragedy and it's just being treated as entertainment. Yeah. And I could I I, I maybe watched the first one and a half episodes and I was like, I can't I can't yeah. do this. I mean, in light of what we were just talking right, about. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you know, those executives are like frothing like yeah, ah, I, know, I hope they get in a fist fight. Ah. <laughs> Maybe one of them will die during the film. Oh my God. I think I just came on myself. Ah. Winnie and Bobby would eventually divorce. At this part of the movie, we start talking about the past and what happened. We're, we're talking to our brothers and one brother reveals that he was sexually abused by someone in their family, a female, when he was a child. And then come to find out that Whitney had also been sexually abused uh, as a child. They were talking about how they could not tell their mother or certain people at that time because... It would have been like an atom bomb going off in the family because as is so often to happen, unfortunately, in these cases, the sexual abuse happened within the family. This was that moment that was like a jaw dropper to me. Did she tell you who it was? Yes, she did. She did. Gary told me that it was Dee Dee Warwick. His aunt, Dion's sister. Is that what she told you? Yeah, that's what she told me. It was Dee Dee, and I said, what? She said, yeah. What can you do? What can you say? Dion Warwick's sister, Dee Dee Warwick, had sexually abused Whitney and... Her brothers, when they were children. We literally looked at each other just like, what the fuck? Yeah, dude. It's a lot of documentaries out there of like known famous people that are, it is a lot of fluff. A lot of it, things are a little, you can tell if things are a little too cushy or almost things go too far. Right. Into the train wreck. Yeah, you can tell. It's like that thing where you can tell people are like getting off on like. Right. I didn't get this vibe in this one. Uh, Kevin McDonald, he's an outside source. He's not in that family. But it does seem kind of important what he manages to get out of the family members here. I just, I just did not see that shit coming. Yeah. We all knew about the drug abuse and like her attempts at a comeback and all that stuff. And I thought like, well, I'll probably get more information about that. I was just so blown back by this information. I will say that I was, I sort of saw the sexual abuse coming. Yeah. Like I, I started to sense that we were headed in that direction based on just what we had heard thus far. I started to feel like, I mean, this family's got so many fucking skeletons in their closet. Yeah. This would not surprise me. And it would make a lot of sense because of course you will find a lot of people who end up with drug problems it comes from something like that that happened in yeah, their childhood true. that they've never had the opportunity to deal with. But when they dropped the bomb of who it was, I was just like, and I don't even, I don't, I don't see how 
I have not heard about this. Didi's a pretty. I mean, Dion's a bigger singer. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I didn't know who the fuck Didi. I never heard of Didi in yeah. the documentary. But she's Dion Warwick's sister. Is yeah. she even still alive? I know. I knew about the Warwick sisters. I don't know if Didi's still alive. Hold up. I bet she's dead. She's got to be dead. I can't imagine she isn't dead. She died in 2008. Yeah, fucking Dee Dee Warwick molested the Houston kids, man. And I can't even imagine. I I hope to God that that documentary is not how her mom found that out. Dion passed away too, right? Uh, No, I don't think so. Dion Warwick was... Dion? No, she's still alive. Miss Psychic Friends Network is still alive. Man. I mean, this, this family... It just it's crazy it's crazy how this documentary straddles this line between I think he did a really good job of giving you just these dichotomies of this is what's going on, everything seems great, and then towards the back half of the documentary, he starts to sort of go back and reveal this other stuff as you're in the midst of her rapid descent into yeah. her passing away, and it just makes it it hits you. It's like a gut punch. It's like all the pieces are falling into place. Yeah. At this point, at this point in the documentary, and yeah, it was like I said. It's still I still kind of feel the effects after that, that bomb. After that point, there's really nothing surprising about any level of the tragedy. Yeah. Whitney, she, her and Bobby divorce, but she kind of goes into a hole, loses a lot of weight. She moves to Atlanta where she doesn't leave the house, but at some point it seems like she's bouncing back, starting to gain a little weight back. They said she cleaned up for a minute. Yeah, she did sparkle. Yeah. Um, she tried to revitalize her career, but her singing voice wasn't what it yeah. was. We see her smoking cigarettes a lot. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a singer, but I smoked for nearly 20 years, and I can't carry any kind of like a, <laughs> Like I said, I'm not a singer. I'm not saying I'm... I'm saying like... But think of what you could have been. Look, when I was 22, I could bullshit a little, you know, but like... Now, but now it's like, no, it's not no. even close. But, you know, you get older, you smoke a lot, and your voice is going to get affected. You can, if you're a singer, they, that will catch up with you. There's no, there's no getting around it. You get a little montage of people upset that it's not uh, 1987 Whitney. But Whitney needed money because apparently she had none. And that was why she went Which on. amazes me. I mean, she went from being the highest paid performer. I mean, a very short period of time, just everything gone. And I, I'm sure a lot of that was family draining money. Her father, mostly, probably more than anyone else. But, you know, the drugs, man. That I mean, that the amount of drugs you have to be doing to drain that much money that quickly. And uh, all these people, it's just... And Chrissy has gotten, become an adult at this time, but it's following that exact yeah. same path. And has genuine resentment against her parents, uh, especially her mother. God, when she said that, like, like, the lady said that she wrote that she wished there was some way she could kill her mom without people finding out about it. God damn. Yeah. God damn. Well, Whitney would eventually fall back into that hole. And in 2012, that was the year that, who was it? Like, was it her aunt? Like, found her in the tub? Yeah. Face down. And Whitney had passed away. There's really not much more to say after that. Yeah. I mean, they, that's pretty much where it ends. I mean, they don't get into the, they give you sort of a little post-mortem as far as, you know, the music, which is really, that's the thing we got the most out of her life. I mean, that's going to live on yeah. forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's just a tragic it's it's such a tragic story i mean i knew it was tragic but i didn't realize the extent to how tragic her life was until i watched this documentary and again i'm amazed with her being such a high profile person that i hadn't heard of any of this stuff and this documentary came out 
May of last year. Yeah. And this is all a surprise to me. And that's the movie Whitney by Kevin McDonald. Some brutal gut punch shit, man. I wasn't sure what to expect from this movie. I wasn't either. It was a, I know you've, you've been a fan most of your life. A lot of this was very new to me. I didn't even know her mother was a singer, but I, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Okay, we don't rate in a uh, star rating scale. Whitney Houston may have been a star. In my book, she's a Herzog. She's a shining Herzog in the sky. We rate in the Herzog rating scale. You're going to give this one through five Herzogs. I'm going to give this one through five Herzogs. We will combine them for best out of ten Herzogs. I was trying to make some Whitney Bobby unification comparison, but I was like, stay away from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what do you think of this movie, Whitney? By Kevin McDonald. Hands down, this one of all the documentaries we've watched together, this one had the most emotional impact on me. Uh, obviously because of being a fan for such a long time, but just so much of this stuff was news to me. A lot of it wasn't, but I thought it was. Thought the director treated it, the subject matter very respectfully. I don't think it ever at any point sort of went into the sensationalistic aspect they could have done, because Lord knows there's enough shit out there where they could have very easily done yeah. a documentary along that vein. I think that I really like the way he he could have very easily crossed the line when he did these sort of scenes where at certain points in her career, you get these montages of flashes of things that are happening in that time period. You know, O.J. Simpson, O.J. Simpson trial. Yeah. You know, commercials, all the sort of things that kind of the death of Princess Diana to sort of bring back these flashes of memory for those of us who live through all that stuff to kind of put you in this mental place of here's where we are framing the time yeah and i think that he did a good job of he pulled back on that just enough so that it didn't feel like really overdone um because that could have been really easy to do the scenes with her her family and just the the helplessness that you get from these people who obviously all loved her but they felt powerless for one reason or another whether it's because they were benefiting from her fame or and they were afraid to alienate her or they all just sort of felt powerless in the wake of watching her go down this path and they all obviously live with this guilt you can see it mm. they all to some extent i'm sure they feel like they should have done more um and they carry that with them they'll have to carry that for the rest of their lives and they were dealing with their own shit yeah i mean a lot of them had their own drug problems they all have their own drug the only difference is that they're just alive. Yeah, yeah. So probably that, through sheer that brings, luck, that brings its own guilt. Yeah, like why me? Like what do I right. have to offer versus this amazing light of a person who brought so much to the world? Why did she die? Why am I still here? So, and the death of Chrissy just compounds that. Yeah, I had a visceral emotional reaction to her performances because seeing Whitney Houston perform live when she was on point before she started getting really heavy into the drug and it started having an effect on her voice no one could stand toe to toe to her i mean just seeing those little clips put in hearing that candid stuff between you know the, the video footage they had so much video footage which was very surprising i wasn't expecting to see a lot of stuff from her that we had never seen before um, i thought it was really wisely used and respectfully used i enjoyed it a lot i would have to give it a four I don't think I've ever given anything a four before, but it was tasteful. Um, it was respectful, but at the same time, he didn't pull any punches on the reality of what was really going on behind the scenes with her family mm -hmm. and her life. And I'm curious as to what the aftermath has been for them 
one thing that stood out to me was one of the older brothers. He said that, you know, our family was really close, but we had a lot of secrets from one another. Mm. And the thing about secrets is they don't go away. Right. Until you deal with them and face them head on. And that, that was what this family's problem was. So many fucking secrets. And you get this horrible tragedy as a result because people not wanting to bring stuff out into the light. I forgot about that. To mention that part after Whitney died, there was like a CNN clip of Al Sharpton explaining to people what a great talent yeah. Whitney was. I would hope that all the negative press would take a pause and remember this great talent. Thanks for cluing us in, Al. <laughs> Rest in peace, Whitey, Whitey. Houston. <laughs> that dude. He's a fucking piece of work, man. <laughs> anyway, I was very surprised. As resonated and shocking as a lot of this was for you, who's a fan of Whitney, for me, who only knows the surface stuff, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I was like, damn. And I was pretty engrossed in this movie. This is some raw, hard-hitting shit. I feel like I like this better than I thought I would. I'm just going to match you, man. I'm going to give it a four as well. Nice. So we'll give this one an eight out of ten. Very surprised. Yeah. Again, I I had no expectations. I didn't know anything about this documentary. I was kind of expecting it to be a little more on the sensationalist side. Just because that's how a lot of times these documentaries about celebrities tend to be. But yeah, it did did not go that route at all. You know, when I was going to do these these movies that got a lot of attention last year that we missed for this month, Whitney seemed to be not rated as high as some of the other ones we're talking about. So I almost expected things to, I I thought I was thought I was maybe going to end up with an average if I had to guess, but I thought there was actually a nice balance struck here. And there was some realness without compromising any real joy that people had in Whitney's life. And maybe some people who watched this disagreed. I don't know, but I think Kevin McDonald actually pulled it off pretty well. So, yeah, I give it four. So that's eight out of ten Herzogs for Kevin McDonald's win. Maybe the highest we've done together. I think so. We've talked about addiction a lot on this show. We talked about how we don't really find that shit funny anymore for good reason because, you know, we've seen it firsthand. And if anyone out there is going through some shit with addiction on any level, whether it be like ranging from fucking heroin to smoking cigarettes, man. It's like, I wish you absolutely the best. And any minute and day that you can spend away from what troubles you the most, I think you should give yourself some credit and take a little pride in yourself for that level of self-control. Because when you're, when you're addicted, it's like the amount of pressure it takes to walk away from these kinds of things. Yeah is it just i know it seems so insurmountable so for every day that you can just climb that brutal mountain pat yourself on the back because that is no that is no easy task and i think people really should be praised those who work hard to get away from the things that really trouble them like that if you fall off you know just try again we know it's hard and i just want y'all to know that if you're struggling every minute you can Every second you're able to control your life. You got to work harder than most people who don't have this issue. I just want to tell you, I'm proud of you. Same here. Akil, thanks for doing this episode with me. Always a pleasure, man. Kevin McDonald's Whitney, 8 out of 10 Herzogs. Definitely worth checking out. Keep on docking, baby. Do Mike in, Mike out. Mike in, Mike in. Mike out, Mike out. Mike in, Mike in. Mike out, Mike out.
Paul Abdul ain't shit now. One thing, Paul Abdul ain't shit. On behalf of white people, you're welcome. You're an asshole. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> We're in it together now. <laughs> we all go down together. 